What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing this week, man? Doing all right. Doing all right. Law and order, man. Taking over. Yeah, law and order indeed. Uh, it's been an uh, interesting week since we last recorded. Uh, I guess only six days, but it feels like a week in a lot of ways. But um, it feels a little different today and uh, over the last week. So that's, that's not a bad thing. I uh, I do think we have a pretty good show today. You know, we're going to be talking about uh, an album that uh, it was pretty fun to listen to. We have a couple of shows. We're going to be talking about a, a movie that um, surprised me in a lot of ways. But we do have a sad place to start today, um, which is we, we've had a lot of people, a lot of big stars in media passing away recently. Uh, Alex Trebek, just the other day, game show host of Jeopardy, uh, legend in every form of the word, um, passed away. I believe he was 80, 70, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Sean Connery passed away at 90. Uh, old <laughs> and uh, unfortunately king vaughn an up-and-coming rapper also passed away uh tragically why don't we start with him uh tell me about king vaughn yeah chicago drill artist He's having a big 2020 had just released his second project of the year just a week or so ago it was uh shot and killed in atlanta and that's just that's just sad you saw the uh outpouring from fellow chicago stars like chance and g herbo and uh little dirk etc yeah i mean he was kind of really rocketing up i think it would have been a pretty safe pick for xxl in 2021 and just had brought that technical ability to those drill sensibilities that you expect from uh you know rappers in chicago and hit a lot of hot songs already and seemed to really be you know popular in social media seemed to be a uh, really big rise kind of quickly. Like I remember seeing that second project I just dropped. I was like, wow, he's really working. This is a, this is really happening. And then, you know, just allegedly might've been some beef involved and either way gunned down. And you obviously you hate to see that violence in hip hop. It always seems to stick around, unfortunately, but you know, another, another tough loss. Yeah, for sure. Um, It feels like, it feels like we're, eulogizing and, and talking about these these tragic deaths way too often um especially over the last couple of years um you know to to shift a little bit to the other two people we mentioned uh, a lot of people have pointed this out obviously the famous uh jeopardy sketch on snl where alex trebek and uh you know played by will ferrell and sean connery played by um was it daryl hammond hammond i think mm, yeah maybe uh but um where they kind of went back and forth and had this funny rapport. Uh, it, you know, in, in a sense, both of these people, Alex Trebek and Sean Connery, really thrived and their star really rose because they were so genuinely themselves and had such like their own unique swagger that like nobody else really could compare to their uh, their level of, of uh, I don't know, personality. You know, Sean Connery, I think especially, is known for having that 
you know, immaculate swagger where every role just became Sean Connery, really, but you still just like dug it because it was Sean Connery being ridiculous a lot of time. Um, what what are your thoughts on Connery's passing? Yeah, I mean, obviously, very old. You know, can't be too sad about it. He was uh, retired already. You know, but um, obviously a titan. And I think his mm-hmm. work as James Bond is really my first foray into acting that was very clearly before my time you know like he was not like the best of his era you know people would point to like Cary Grant and stuff but like he was sort of the first person I became aware of I think as his turn many of the bonds it's like you know, my favorite bonds probably Goldfinger you know and he's you know like he's kind of classic uh swagger and charisma and if you look back on his Bond roles, a lot of times he's actually a really big asshole too. It's kind of a funny uh, performance. Um, and then obviously you think to the more relatively recent stuff, which was old period Connery, where he was uh, as an older actor, you know, like Last Crusade and uh, Untouchables and such. And obviously just a really uh, mammoth career. I didn't know he was offered Gandalf until people had said that when he was passed. That's kind of a wild thing to consider. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, just a legend, like everyone knows at this point. Yeah, and and I think Connery, <clears throat> you know, it's it obviously goes back to Bond, but Untouchables, playing uh, Indy's dad and in Indiana Jones, like people who, even though he wasn't working in the last however many years just still everybody knew him like you said a titan so definitely a huge loss and alex trebek in the same way transcended uh his fear by being this you know game show host who was a generational steadfast uh, steadfast of uh you know early evening game show tv and um unflappable he made uh learning cool he never stopped being himself and that created a lot of hilarious moments on jeopardy it's hard because i i i think he's such a even beyond connery such a part of the uh you know uh, american experience if you watch tv and have any interest in game shows you've at least watched one episode of jeopardy so feels like everybody kind of knew him but uh he also seemed to go out and really cool way which uh he wrote you know there's a book about him a couple of years back and he said he wanted to spend his last days on his swing on his porch with his wife and that's exactly what he did so um you know I, in every sense good for him obviously I'm losing or not losing but succumbing to cancer after quite a, a public battle with it yeah. any thoughts on Trebek before we move into what we got this week I mean I don't have anything to add that hasn't been said at this point but I mean as the viral tweet suggests it is funny to reflect on how he would just kind of dunk on people on Jeopardy from time to time and make fun of uh <laughs> you know the certain uh, mindset and character you need to have to rise the ranks to be on Jeopardy with Alex Trebek you know so he, like you said he always he always stuck to what he what he what he was and I think being a genuine game host is a big part of being a successful one. And he's kind of the first thing anyone would think of at this point. Why don't we jump now to maybe something a little more upbeat for the listeners. And that's little mixes sixth album confetti, the uh, British girl group coming off of their star turn on 2011's X factor. Um, 
Dave, how big of a little Knicks fan would you say that you are? I wouldn't say I'm a big fan. We talked about their last album, LM5, about two years ago, 2018. And I was quite underwhelmed by that one. You know, coming in, I I think really disliked their hits, like Black Magic and uh, Shout Out to My Ex. You know, some really big songs, some really good songs, but songs that are a little old at this point. And, you know, kind of seeing them as an American in the shadow of Fifth Harmony as like the British version of that Sans One member. I was like, hmm, LM5, I don't think there was much on this. And, you know, you look look back on the track list, there's a Nicky feature. You're like, hmm, it seems like this was kind of a play to to American audiences, I guess. Which is funny, because right before that album comes out, they leave Simon Cowell's label. Even though that album technically was still out on Simon Cowell's label. This is the first album from them independent of that with RCA Records. And I feel, I feel like I'm of two minds because you could think about the album in a lot of ways. But I think when, when they're right, they make really good pop music. And, you know, really good pop music and often can be simple. But when it's good, it's good. So, uh, you know, I haven't listened to a lot of their first few albums too much. But, I mean, are you, are you consider yourself much of a fan? Uh, no, not really. I actually kind of forgot that we reviewed LM5. When I started looking through the track list earlier, I was like, oh, I remember this song or that song, but um, not not a group that's really in my consciousness. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to come into this album, Confetti, with very much no to little, little to no expectations for them because uh, I, I thought there was a lot to like on here. And I actually found this to be a, a pretty fun album to listen to. I, I, I think um, probably about like six or seven of the tracks I thought were really solid. Maybe, you know, four to five of them I could have done without. But that's that's much better than I was expecting going into this. How are you feeling after working your way through Confetti? Yeah, I, same way. I think they just had a lot more songs that just hit. Like They had some bangers on confetti and they didn't really have any bangers for me on lm5 so you know i i'm pro banger this this was good this is a good development <laughs> it, it's funny and i don't mean to um bring in last week's topics to, to kind of frame this but we talked about ariana and how positions was pretty underwhelming and i felt like this was almost more of an ariana album than, than positions was oh, at least in terms thought. of expectation you did i had the same thought and i'm listening <laughs> to some of these big hits like confetti the title track happiness mm-hmm. i'm like oh wow yeah, there's nothing as big as this on Ariana's positions by design from Ari, Ari's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, doing. But still, I was like, hmm, this, this, this is hitting more in the way I hoped Ari was going to hit for me this week prior. So, yeah, uh, I definitely made the connection. Yeah, and it feels like like some of those tracks, like Confetti, um, even like Happiness, um, is like are there, those are tracks that you almost can like hear Ariana just like soaring off of and then sure. obviously i think little mix still gives a great vocal performance um and some of these i think uh tracks were purely just to be like a vocal show off for them in some sense but um yeah i, I definitely found myself enjoying this i think a little bit more than positions in, in a lot of ways uh not not that positions was bad we went over that check out the review um but you mentioned confetti uh production on that was just amazing um I didn't look up who the producer was. Did you write that down? I did not either. I I, I, I pr- quickly looked at the production. I didn't recognize too many of the names. But uh, yeah, those drums 
on confetti yeah and hook those kick right to my soul man that's <laughs> um you mentioned uh uh what was the other track that you mentioned at happiness, the top there was, yes happiness those kind two tracks like back euro euro pop song sound yep totally um and that that the chorus the hook on that is just really really good um what about gloves up yeah so you like that track well i i think it's funny because if you look at um you listen to this album right right after happiness comes not a pop song where they're espousing all these lyrics about how now that they're um well, what was the quote uh i don't want to do what simon says i think that was one of the, <laughs> one of the lines it's like they, they're yep. clearly doing their own thing now you know they were not going to do well, these traditional love songs about boys, blah, blah, blah. Yet, most of the album is, is conventional that? pop fodder. It's traditional. It, they're not actually reinventing the wheel despite what they might have been telling you they were doing. And again, that's not, not a bad thing, but it's just kind of funny to hear that. Um, I, I think the back half of this uh, kind of tailed off for me, including Gloves, gloves Up. Because I think that the beginning is like just really high, high energy ba- bangers, and it slows down a little bit, but... Um, like I like not a pop song, but like like gloves up and like like breathe, like it's all right. Like I, I think I, in those moments, I, I stick to like the harmonizing of the mm-hmm. quartet more than anything else. But when it's a little s- slower tempo, I'm not as interested. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of that second half, like gloves up, um, my love won't let you down. Those actually feel. Like like you mentioned, these aren't they aren't reinventing the wheel. Those songs feel super familiar because the reason I brought up gloves up is that feels almost like that song was meant for Sia, and then whoever wrote it was like, "Here, you guys can have this." Like, um, you know, and it, I think it still comes off really strong. But the beats, the the general tone, and and just vibe of the song feel very Sia ish. And then a song like "My Love Won't Let You Down." feels like that was almost intentionally put in for them to just like kind of show off their vocals, but there wasn't really much else there to the, the track. Um, you know, though, uh, one song I thought was pretty good um, in the second half was if you want my love, something about that song just popped off. I think if there's one track off the second yeah, half, that, really yeah, it really sounds like, yeah. I, thought, I, thought, I thought a rendezvous had a strong hook as well. In general, yeah. most of the hooks on this are really good. And I think that's the thing in pop music, even if the lyrics aren't anything, uh, groundbreaking if the hooks are tight the production's tight and this is coming from a sh- strong vocalists um, you're just going to hit a lot of boxes and fire off some serotonin so um, again like I don't know if they I don't know I don't think they hit those ideals of uh, changing who they are as artists maybe that'll come down the line as they get more comfortable in their new circumstances but um, you know as far as big pop music goes in a mainstream way uh there's a lot to like on this and you know i was looking at this i didn't realize that black pink black pink jesus christ little mix sorry i didn't realize that little mix has sold 50 million records worldwide which is the eighth most of uh all girl groups and the second most uh in the uk behind the spice girls did not realize they're quite that scale because most of those sales are international because they're not a huge seller you know in the states mm-hmm. but they, they definitely have quite the uh set of accolades already six albums in for sure and you know i think the uh the piece of this that really uh, i i wanted to ask you what is does this album being i think much 
uh, more in our, our range of liking than LM5, shift your perspective on Little Mix at all. Does this up their status to you? Well, yeah, now, now it just it changes my expectations because now I'm just going to expect more bangers moving forward. You know, like before it was like the bangers were sprinkled, but this was, this was high on bangers. So I'm going to need more of those on album seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think, um, you know, like I said, my expectations for little mix in this were very low and uh, definitely raised the bar a bit. So I like that. And we'll be checking with them more and also check out our nostalgia best of 2020 playlist, which will have little mix as well as all the music that we've enjoyed this year. So Dave, uh, we have a little breaking news coming in, but we're going to set the stage first, right? So Johnny Depp, um, very famous actor. You've probably seen him in some things. Pirates of the Caribbean, probably the, the main thing, but you know, obviously going back away. So we probably, and we've talked about him most recently in Fantastic Beasts, yeah, playing Grindelwald, a very anticipated character for Harry Potter fans. Um, and I think an interesting performance that wasn't loved by people. No. And uh, if anyone that's followed Johnny Depp knows that he's also had some personal issues recently with uh, ex, was it fiance, partner, Amber Heard? Something like that, yeah. Um, where they've been going through, uh, I believe, civil suits. Uh, Yep, trying to yeah, resolve quite the, their... quite the complicated thing between him and Amber Heard. Um, there's blame thrown at, at both parties, you know. Um, I think a thing to watch is does Amber Heard actually stick with Aquaman too? Like, because that's that's also Warner Brothers remains to be seen on that front. But either way, to me, Johnny Depp being asked to resign, as Johnny put it when he told us on Instagram, yes. um. That's a positive to me because moral moral uh, grounds aside, it was a bad performance, and kind of distracting. <laughs> like, 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 do you remember at the end of the first one when Colin Farrell transformed into Johnny Depp? Very flat moment, right? Like, yeah. honestly, it would have been nice if we just kept Colin Farrell, if you ask me. But it seems yeah. that's uh, that that's no longer in the cards either. Yeah, uh, very underwhelming performance, especially for a character that was, like I mentioned, so anticipated. And now that he's been asked to step down or asked to resign by Warner Brothers, it's been reported, breaking news today, coming across Dave's desk just now, that Mads Mikkelsen is in early talks to replace him as Grindelwald. Dave, is this a good move by Warner Brothers? How do you feel about this potential move? I mean, we like Mads Mikkelsen. He's a good actor, so I think it's a good pick. Sure, it, apparently it's David Yates's preferred choice. David Yates, of course, has been directing uh, Harry Potter and Wizarding World films since I was like ten. You know, it, it's very much his baby, as much as J.K. Rowling's at this point. Um, I think just about any good actor is an improvement over Depp because I just don't think Depp has been good for a while. Like the late period yeah. Pirates movies, the the fourth and fifth ones. Uh, time. because his performance as Jack Sparrow just kind of devolved into being the jester buffoon. The yeah, cunning caricature. Early Jack Sparrow's completely gone. And I, I feel like mm. that, that just kind of colors all of Depp's acting these days. And his Grindelwald performance was just strange, right? And yeah. I don't know how else to put it. It was just off and weird and... As you mentioned, the gravitas of a very famous, important character to the Potter lore was not being handled as well as it should have been due to depth. So Mads Mikkelsen, 
I definitely think that's a character that has more grace. He probably would be able to uh, carry more of that multi-layered gray nature of a character like Grindelwald, who has a really uh, rich history, both on the very evil side, but also to his relationship with Dumbledore earlier in the lore. Like, There's a lot to explore if they choose to go for that, right? And uh, I think he's at least up to the challenge, and I just haven't seen anything from depth in the last almost 10 years to suggest he could have done that. So I'm, I'm for it. You know, the, the thing about this, uh, the, the coming movies in the Fantastic Beast series is that it's obviously going to be very centered around Jude Law as Dumbledore and whoever is playing Grindelwald. And you need someone that can go toe-to-toe with Law, which I think Mads Mikkelsen can definitely do. I think he has more of the, just the overall look that I kind of expected for someone like Grindelwald. But even beyond that, I think Grindelwald comes across as this like extremely charismatic, but also like composed and controlled character. And that almost feels exactly like what you think about with Mads Mikkelsen, where almost everything he's in, he's never like super loud or like bombastic or like jumping off the screen, but he has this quiet strength and like charisma to him that I think fits the role so well. So I, I really like this pick. I'm hoping that it follows through. I, I was actually thinking when I heard the news last week, who I'd want to kind of step in. I, I didn't have anyone else come to mind. Did you have any? Yeah. I, the only thing I, I thought of was Colin Farrell coming back. That's the only thing I right. thought of. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like you think about like what we know about Grindelwald is someone who was able to gain a lot of followers to mm-hmm. some really uh, evil shit right? Mads Mikkelsen makes sense as the kind of salesman for that, right? Yep. Like the, the performance we got from Death did not have a lot of nuance to it. Mm-hmm. So it was just more of a walk. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, like you said, hopefully this sticks because there's, there's a lot of potential with this one. I hope it sticks. If uh, it, Let us know how you're feeling. Leave a comment below or if you want someone else to replace Johnny Depp, comment that too. Uh, let's move on to uh, Teachers having sex with underage people Ah, or are they 18 we're not sure (laughs) um it's the new hulu miniseries i think it's hulu and fx fx miniseries um uh a teacher which uh you know funny uh funny name uh you know starring uh kate mara um we got uh nick robinson who you would know from uh uh, I Simon or Love, Love Simon. Simon, Love Simon, Jeez. as well as the older brother in Jurassic World. Yeah, which I it was funny because I kept being like, I've seen him in a movie though, and then I was like, oh yeah, there we go, Jurassic World. Uh, anyways, this uh this premiered on Hulu. They dropped the first three episodes today, day of recording, November tenth. Um, I only got through about one and a half, so I'm not caught up on all three. Did you get through all three? I've only seen the first. So. We're going to kind of take this slow and we know people may have seen more than we're going to be talking about. Still leave your thoughts. Let us know if, if our general take on the first episode uh, fits for you. But I was left a little bit intrigued, but also a little bit underwhelmed by this first episode. Um, you know, Kate Mara, such an electric presence almost every time she's on screen feels almost like a bit like dulled down here. Um, and I also feel like just engaging with this type of material is tough stuff. Like it's, uh, 
it's hard because like at the same time these are like beautiful people who you know are not you know the like uh, nick robinson i believe is in his mid-20s like he's not actually an underage person uh but you know they're they're portraying this relationship or this budding potential romantic sexual relationship that obviously is illegal and, and wrong so it's uh I'm sure they'll be exploring this more, but I found it a little bit tough to to kind of get into. How are you feeling after the first episode? Yeah, definitely more wait and see for me. I have some reservations. I mean, you know, it, it didn't come out of the blue. This this show was created by Hannah Fidel, who directed a movie of the same name that premiered at Sundance back in 2013. And this is essentially a dramatization of that film on TV, like we are want to see often in the era of peak TV. Yet, when I realized it was 10 episodes, I was like, that's a lot. That's a lot mm-hmm. for this. Even if they're only half hour episodes, I, it just, it, it, it feels like this could get thin quick. Having only seen one episode, I don't actually know that yet. But, you know, you think about what we saw in the first episode, right? Like. What kind of are you gonna get sparks? I don't know if you want sparks. There's a warning about like the portrayal of grooming before the episode starts, right? Yeah, and like there's a hotline at the end. Like it's not something you wanna sensationalize, even if it is like salacious content. And I like if K Mara and Nick Robinson are really great in the show, it'll probably be enough for me, but like I also kind of question like what you gain from having like adding more to this story because like if it's well contained as a as a movie do you really need to triple its length like what what are you adding to it remains to be seen obviously but i mean i you know going in i was like okay mara hey mara hasn't been in my life in a while you know like Mm -hmm. i know she was on pose but i don't watch that show but other than that it's kind of been a minute you know ever since really being uh, you know a scene stealer in house of cards so long ago at this point yeah it's funny when when i think about her career and even her sister i feel like the name i think for a lot of reasons outside of their acting ability is well known um you know coming from a famous family and uh i feel like yeah, 10 years ago when House of Cards came out, maybe it was even longer, people were talking about this and uh, talking about these two and it's like these two are going to be the next like it girls of Hollywood in a lot of ways did not uh, take over that sphere the way we kind of expected but still every time I feel like Kate Mara, Mara Rooney Mara show up in a, a show, it's like, or a, a t- you know, yeah, uh, film, you're just kind of like, damn, like they, they really capture your attention. Um, uh, I think there's a lot to like about the show and, and, you know, just kind of seeing the, uh, the, you know, the beginning of the second episode, it seems like there's potential in, in terms of what we talk about with that story being thin to like explore like uh, the, the teenness of the show. I haven't seen the movie obviously, but to like, you know, explore those teen situations and have a bit of a teen show with this like overarching theme of this, you know, uh, relationship, this inappropriate relationship, which I think could maybe uh, buoy a 10 episode season, but 10 episodes, especially for a mini series, a uh, half hour mini series about a topic that, like you said, could maybe be done in like four to five episodes is uh, a little interesting. So I agree. I think that um, I'm 
eager to see how they kind of pull that off. Um, one thing I didn't want to say, just kind of a random, not really anything about the show, good music choices. They start off with a LCD sound system um, at, at the beginning. So obviously I liked that. Um, and I also felt, yeah. And I also felt like the, um, uh, just the overall feeling uh, like they, they were very self-aware. There's a, a moment. I can't remember if it's at the beginning second episode. I think it's in the first where, one of the teenage boys is like talking about the other teenage boys, like little sister. And he's like, well, you look 30. And I was like, yeah, that guy does look 30. I'm glad that they like called that out. Cause like, that's one of those moments where like, you know, it's like Greece where those people, you know, the original actors are supposed to be playing 15 or 16 year olds in their you know, right. 45. But um, anything else you liked about the show or that you didn't like? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely want to see more and see, mm-hmm. cause like I think in this first episode, Nick Robinson is still kind of tight. His character, like, it hasn't lightened up yet. And from what I understand, later in the season, you know, the consequences of an affair of this nature are explored. The affair itself is almost like the framing for most of the season, not so much dominating the whole season. So I, I like to see more of that. And, you know, Nick Robinson, it, this probably is one of his first kind of forays into more adult themes, still playing the young. Uh, young person but um look, looking forward to that i, I feel like i know what i'm gonna get from kate maher in this and that's fine i think she's well cast but um thematically i i'm just skeptical of like what the show is going to try and uh, achieve because when you have a, attractive leads that have chemistry and are giving good performances if it's around subject matter that's hard to get behind it can leave you wanting. Kind of reminds me of how I felt about, I know this much is true, you know, and it's like all the window dressing kind of just is going to shape how you feel about what's happening, what you're seeing, you know? So I uh, definitely want to see more, but uh, I, I think for, for a first episode, it's solid. I don't know if like the hook's super great though, because it's, it's kind of slow played in that first episode. We'll, we'll be checking back in with the show as the season winds down, but we're going to now do exactly that check in with the show that we reviewed the first episode which is we are who we are on hbo the luca guadagnino um miniseries um which uh wrapped up actually last week um we're reviewing it a week late because we've, we've had things going on in our lives but uh i found this show to be almost exactly kind of what I thought it was going to be, which is, is not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it like properly met my expectations, oh, which I think were, uh, be, yeah, to be very visually, um, like stunning and pleasant to, to look at, um, to explore these themes, but maybe not, uh, really give, a uh, perspective you know like a very strong perspective one way or the other just kind of to explore them and let the the viewer make their opinions of it and got really strong performances not only from the adults but also these teenagers killed it um i i really thought the acting in this was strong so overall i thought it was well done i mean it's luca so to be expected but i'm wondering if you're on the same page with me on this I definitely think it's well done. You know, I think we talked about this at the premiere episode, but like when you have Luca's 
sensibilities as the sole creative force really around the show and he had uh, some buddies helping him write but like he he's really de- framing everything about the show that comes with expectations and he delivers on them like you said it, it it's kind of it's kind of that vibe that you expect from his stuff this kind of whimsical melancholy nature around young people coming of age and he achieves that quite well i think the locations are good and you get a lot of good performances from young young performers relatively new performers um but it also had what i feared uh when i saw the first episode was that i had a hard time connecting with our lead performance jack dylan grazer as fraser uh and that definitely framed a lot of my thoughts around the season but because it's Luca and because it, it, it's not this grand sweeping thematic treatise, it's really vibey. And like you said, it, it's kind of by design more open-ended and non-declarative about things, whether that's obvious things like gender identity or just what you should take away from what happens to certain characters. Um, it's, it was all quite intentional. So I respect that, but I had a hard time connecting with stuff. So for me, it was more episode to episode, whether I was having like the best time or just kind of enjoying with the technical stuff the episodes kind of almost are staggered that way right like it feels like you would have one episode where it's like an excursion something fun or light is happening they're on the beach they're uh you know going to a a house and throwing a party after a wedding like uh they're they're going to a concert like there's kind of those episodes and then there's like the heavier stuff episodes and and in those other episodes i think the heavier stuff is always like an underlying part and like you know something that's kind of uh the subtext to the situations but you can definitely i think find some of these episodes more enjoyable than others and um i I agree with you though on jack dylan grazer's performance as uh fraser I, i just I think I'm not sure if that was intentionally supposed to be difficult to connect with because it seems like this is a person who just has difficulty connecting with people in general, or if this was something about the way it was played by the actor that um, made it hard. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a good performance because I actually think it's intentional. I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. But to me, this grading personality from a really neurotic, immature, impulsive person, it's just not pleasant to be around when it's your lead performance. Like the whole, like you, you, I don't like it when the lead is like the chaotic, good, chaotic, evil of it all. I prefer when that's a character interacting with our main protagonist, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it was very much up and down for me. Just like the way the character's mood seemed to be up and down, scene to scene. Um, and I, you know, I think maybe, maybe, Younger people might connect with it more, you know, like the because like the coming of age, the uh, acceptance of one's identity might be uh, something people can latch onto and watching it. But I just had a hard time uh, sympathizing with what Fraser was up to because he just seemed like a prick more often than not. Like it's simple as that. So that that, that definitely got in the way for me, you know, because I and I think. The costume department did good. He's definitely well dressed as a uh, teenager who really likes high fashion. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and like, I, I think the line readings are good. Like, you know, like when he's like talking really fast or getting really animated. Like, I think Grazer did a pretty good job. But 
it, it was pretty great. And I think it was probably by the Yeah. Time. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think if, if you're supposed to be like, uh, you know, connecting or with the experience of anybody, you probably connect more with the uh, group of, of kids who don't like Fraser, right? The the group who wants Caitlin to come and spend time with them and not, not the other because they see Fraser as grading. They feel like, as one person says, he doesn't know how to love. And uh, I think they do a good job of explaining maybe why some of these behaviors and these ways of relating come about for Fraser as you see how dysfunctional his home life is. And, it, and you know, not only the uh, how both of his parents seem to be uh, you know, going out and having affairs, but um, how he's moved from place to place based on this, uh, his mom's uh, ascension through the army uh, in, into a, uh, you know, commanding role. Um, how his, his mom looks at the world and, and treats boundaries and norms and relationships with his friends. It's all very muddied and muddled. And he's this like extremely like, guarded person by using his weirdness i i do think it's a good performance but i agree it's it's hard to connect with an actor like that did you find yourself connecting with caitlin played by jordan christine simon yeah i think that's definitely a more well-rounded character has i think just better payoff throughout the season you know because she she has more relationships right like she has a relationship with her dad played by kid cuddy her brother Mm -hmm. frazier the other kids love interests right there's a lot a lot to her story and i i think i definitely understood and liked the the narrative arc of her relationship with kid cuddy versus frazier's relationship with his mom chloe 70 and his mom's wife like i i and alice i played by alice braga like i i didn't connect with that one nearly as much yeah uh, i think also caitlin's journey feels so much more fulfilling and rewarding you know the last episode um you're kind of uh so they're at this uh to, for those that didn't watch but want to know what happened they go to this uh blood orange concert which blood orange is kind of like a running theme throughout yeah. the season obviously dev Hines scored the yeah, season had, meta. yeah incredibly meta Yo, and Hines, bro he's a genius <laughs> <laughs> i know right a little, little, little heavy-handed there but um it uh it ends up where, you know, Fraser goes off with this person he met on the train very impulsively and uh, leaves Caitlin behind. And Caitlin, you know, uh, ends up having, you know, feeling like she needs to leave the concert based on something that happens with another person there that she starts hooking up with. Um, and Fraser isn't there you know like they're separated when this was like their big like last moment together and i just found myself so angry at fraser and just like wanting him to like come and comfort caitlin and like not be so selfish i think that's the difference kind of what you're talking about is it's hard to root for somebody who acts the way fraser does but caitlin is kind of like that that like goodness to to the show you know that person who's there for everybody who even in someone like fraser who's grading and hard can see the the bright spots and connect with them i think uh caitlin's journey as well with her gender identity sexuality Mm -hmm. um is by far the most interesting exploration of that throughout the season you know and you see uh quite a quite a bit of sexual fluidity 
in the season, but the gender fluidity is pretty much uh, strictly through Caitlin's experience. I thought that was really well done and not like, you know, you mentioned the Dev Hines thing being heavy handed. I thought they did that with a lot of tact, you know, not necessarily like um, building it up too quickly, but allowing Caitlin to explore it, but then also feel fear and anxiety around it. I thought it was really well portrayed. How did you feel about that aspect of the show? I think I think it's well done. That's probably the best, probably the lasting impact of the show thematically. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's played with a lot of tact because over the course of an eight-episode season, it it, it it comes up slowly but steadily. You know, like I I, I think it's done well. Yeah, Cuddy, how, how did he do? Cuddy, um, I thought he was convincing as a kind of shitty dad. You know? <laughs> Like, can't you? Because you, you, you understand, like, it's subtle, but you understand it, right? Like, he's a conservative black man, and his relationship with a daughter who doesn't align with that makes a lot of sense. I think Cuddy sold mm-hmm. it uh, pretty well. But he, he's, yeah, not I, top, he's not like, like a top tier actor. It's kind of still stun cast at the end of the day, like, watching Kid Cuddy be like an actor. He's getting cast in a lot of stuff. He's really like, just Hollywood at this point, mm. but um, like you, you could do better than Kid Cudi when it comes to these roles. But uh, I thought I think he's convincing enough. Yeah, and I I actually thought, you know, especially because he's supposed to be this like overarching like uh, control of like his family, while you know he has a son who um, isn't doesn't really believe that that's his dad and. Um, it feels like a part of his identity as a Muslim is being, um, you know, uh, held down based on the expectations of his family. Yeah. Um, you know, he has, you know, his wife is obviously unhappy, doesn't know who she is, exploring her herself and her sexuality with the neighbor. Like, there's a lot, you know, fraying at the seams under him. And when it all comes to a head after the the, the son's friend dies in uh, um, a convoy uh, explosion. I thought that scene was like made total sense. Um, you know, the, the, the plotting of the show just uh, made sense the whole time, which was really nice. And you got allowed Cuddy to just be drunk and ridiculous, which is kind of cool. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I wanted to shout out episode four. That's the yeah. one where they go to the pool. They have that, that wedding. And like it represented a lot of things I like dislike about the show because you have these really impulsing, impulsive, childlike decisions right this like uh turn of the moment wedding engagement wedding right um Mm -hmm. but then you have all these kids being really reckless being very much kids and just kind of acting a fool at this uh not abandoned uh, empty you know like mini mansion right and in the process you get like rapid like sensory overload you get a lot of uh luca did this throughout the season we get a lot of those like still shots where he pauses the frame for a few seconds, yep. which is kind of an interesting touch because he would do it at precise moments. A lot of these quick cuts too, where it's like, like I think of like when it was all blue and they're like all slow dancing when they're like barely coherent at that point. And then it cuts again and it's like different people dancing. You know, it's like a lot, a lot of like flourishes mm-hmm. with the camera. And I don't know, like that, like when, when they're all like getting fucked up and like, get in touchy feely and all that. I was like, wow, this is like kind of like the period of the show. And that's where I was, I, I couldn't look away. I was like, this is, this is something, you know? And like, uh, 
Jack Dylan Grazer is kind of hilarious when he's just playing Frazier fucked up. You know, he's like barely able to walk and stuff. It's like uh, that that kind of like stuff. It's definitely lower stakes than uh, the more you know serious subject matter that happens later in the season. But that episode yeah. would definitely stood out to me just for being unlike a lot of things I saw this year. Well, and uh, you know, I don't know if it's right to necessarily uh, frame this in the the shadow of "Call Me by Your Name," but we talked about the similarities that were there when the season started, and I think it, it brings you back to, you know, uh, Elio and I'm forgetting the other one's name. I'm sorry, but uh, riding through the Army you Hammer, know, the, yes, Army Hammer, <laughs> riding through the the countryside, laying underneath the tree, like uh, you know, reading books, going to that club and dancing, like. It, it brings you to all those things you really love about Call Me By Your Name that kind of create that world and make it a fun world to be in. Obviously having a much stronger, I think, love story at the center of it. Um, and that, that kind of brings me to one last question I had, which is how did you feel about, you know, how the show ended, which is, you know, Fraser and, and Caitlin finally come together and kiss at the end when that's mm-hmm. kind of been like a, a running like will they won't they through the season did you find that to be a satisfying ending did you feel earned do you feel it was earned yeah i think it's earned enough i guess it's a logical end point mm-hmm. i'm fine with it um i did see lucas say that him and his co-writers have made a bible for a season two due to quarantine and having time to do exactly that it has not been renewed by HBO at this time but I actually kind of like it as is like I, I feel like it, it, it for what it was going for I think it kind of wrapped up well I, I don't know if there's a lot to gain by going back to the well but mm. maybe bigger fans of the show than mine would disagree yeah I'm I, I don't know if if uh, I necessarily want to see more of it especially because it seems like uh, Caitlin and uh, Fraser are going to be in different areas and maybe something about them coming back together will be the through line. But, um, you know, I, I want to see Luca doing different stuff, exploring other, other things, but, um, you know, whatever he wants to do really, I think will, will come out great. So, um, we are who we are. I think I would consider this a success for HBO. Definitely. Um, something I've recommended to a few people in my life. So, uh, check it out if you haven't, and also check out Proxima, the Alice Winkor uh, film dropped last year, the hit video on demand just recently, starring uh, Eva Green and Matt Dillon. Um, those are probably the two big names, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. And this this is a, uh, you know, it's sitting at like 81% Rotten Tomatoes. And after it ended last night, I found myself just being like, huh, this was really not at all what I thought it was going to be. And I, it's funny because I think we've, we've watched a lot of space movies in the last, I don't know, decade, I guess. It feels like a ton of them. And almost all of them are focused on what happens out there. And this is very much a story about everything but space, where space is really just like the, the final end point. Um, pretty interesting how did you feel watching proxima and just kind of about what you were expecting versus what you got yeah to that point it has a lot of the dna of another french film a film from a french director high life as well as even uh-huh. stuff like first man at astra where it's really the movie is really more concerned about the psychological aspects of space 
on its characters. Now, those three movies still happen in space. Proxima's even taking a step further, as you said. Um, and it's funny to watch this now, given the year we're watching this, because space TV is, is big right now. Avenue 5, Space Force, uh, For All Mankind, the debut on debut show on Apple TV+, Plus, Away, the Netflix show with Hilary Swank, The Right Stuff on Disney+, Plus, Moonbase 8 on Showtime just came out. There's a lot of these uh, space shows, most of them comedies, most of them not very well received. <laughs> and yet you get this movie Proxima, which is coming to us late. Like th- This played in France about a year ago, right? Like This mm-hmm. already was nominated at the Caesar Awards, the French Oscars in early 2020. Eva Green was nominated for Best Actress. Like, like th- this is old news to Europe, but to us, it's like, oh wow, more space things, cool. Um, and definitely my my, my favorite uh, space thing of all the things I just mentioned. You know, um, as a big fan of First Man, I, I I quite enjoy Proxima because I like seeing that psychological stuff. And in this one, you know, I think like because it's really specific about like connecting with your family and 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 how you will lose that connection when you literally leave the planet for a year, right? Like it's 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 a simple problem, but seeing it uh, played out, uh, I, th- I think it's pretty effective. And like I think there's it's again it's a simple line, almost a predictable line, uh, kind of late in the movie where it's like um, the hard part isn't leaving, the hard part's coming back because time keeps going or something along those lines. And I'm like, wow, yeah, <laughs> again, a s- simple premise, but I, I think I think it's a uh, uh, done pretty well in this. You know, the movie was shot in location at Star City in Moscow and um, the European Space Agency in Cologne. So it really is convincing as a modern day movie about astronauts. And Eva Greenstone's performance, I think, really sells the kind of quiet conflict that something like this has and how actually really plausible something like this is, you know. So I liked it a lot. Yeah, uh, the uh, the shooting on location, I think, really added an element to it because there, there's that scene, I think, when uh, they, like, walk up to, like, the, the back end of a rocket and, it, like, actually just, it's just a, a real rocket. And I was like, this is, like, one of the most convincing sets I've ever seen. Like, this is unbelievable. And then I saw that they shot on location and made more sense. But it looks great. It, it feels hyper realistic and you know you mentioned all those space movies i think the one it comes back to most for me is actually like the first like 40 minutes of interstellar sure. you know yeah, before matthew time. mcconaughey goes into space yep and it's all him and his, his little girl and like what you know what's gonna be like when he goes up there and uh i think that that uh this obviously portrays it in a much more realistic way and it kind of walks you through a lot of the things that you know you might not really think about that these people have to plan for and go through um especially being a um single mom you know i I guess a not a single mom necessarily but like a divorced parent who takes care of their child as the primary caregiver um that's a whole nother challenge and you know balancing the the sacrifice that you make to be a parent with chasing your own dreams and goals i thought was an interesting uh, question at the center of this and you mentioned that like quiet conflict Eva Green has is she's kind of propelled forward by Matt Dillon's like asshole astronaut like yeah you know giving her little barbs in the side and pushing her forward you kind of just see it like growing and growing until it finally starts to like 
break down closer to the end of the movie. I thought it was a really great performance from her. What was the last thing you saw her in, Eva Green? I was thinking about that too. Um, I think her biggest stuff of late was probably Penny Dreadful, the show. Uh, mm. I haven't watched that, but I mean, I mean to me, it, the, the biggest Eva Green thing is still more or less the first Bond. Eva Green thing, which would be Casino Royale, Vesper Lynn, yeah. classic Bond yeah. girl. I, I thought I thought out of those four, she was probably the, my my favorite one too. She's really great in that role, um, and she's great in this role as well. Um, I I'm wondering for you, what were like the moments that you look to and you're like that was like what made this movie what it was. Are there any like particular scenes or moments? You know, I think the Matt Dillon character, at least the way it's set up early on, it, it is really effective because it's initially like just kind of like blatant misogyny in the workplace um but then also like kind of like the belittling stuff where it's like this very well could be a well-intentioned more or less good person but this is again the kind of stuff that women face in certain competitive fields right like it's Mm -hmm. it felt felt very accurate unfortunately you know um i actually upon reflection think that he kind of comes around in the film in terms of his relationship with uh eva green sarah that seemed to be kind of quick like we never actually they never had a reckoning right like he just seemed to respect her more i guess mm-hmm. as she proved herself in training like it, that that maybe seemed a little quick to me or kind of glossed over but yeah i mean i think just kind of the, the mood you get from the locations throughout really sells it and those scenes with the daughter are, are are throughout are really good because of the writing. The uh, like Stella, yeah. Girl, she says some like really pointed, almost morbid things early on to her mom. Like, are you gonna die before me? Right? And like, yeah. And and you understand this like disassociation that's happening between the the mother and the child, and like just kind of seeing that happen and completely understanding why it's happening. Um, those are the things that I think sell it to me the most, and. I think this is this this is kind of like the one of the best examples of like again stuff like this. You like you don't actually go to space, but you do this well and it's really effective. I think there was that um there, that there was that one season of that other show. I think like a year and a half ago, um, the Sean Penn Hulu show, the first kind of a similar mm. thing where it's almost like more about the melodrama of preparing to leave Earth, and that that show is about going to Mars. But from what I understand about it. Proximus is much more effective in actually selling that. And I think part of that's because it's really small scale. But um, uh, for, for what it's going for, I think, I think it's, it's, it's really well done. I think the writing is, is like sneakily, like really effective. And Alice Winnicor uh, did actually co-write uh, Mustang, which was the French Best Foreign Language Film nominee in 2015. So there is a bit of pedigree with this film. Yeah, uh, Alice Winnicor seems like a bit of a rising star. So definitely something I think we'll be hearing more from. And I, and I agree. I think, I think the scenes, uh, especially like when uh, the little girl like runs away, right. And um, they, they kind of chase her down and they, they scream at each uh, or yelling at each other. Like you scared me. And like, you know, uh, I forgot what the little girl said back, but it's like really cutting. And you're just like the, the amount that like it's been building silently in both of these two. Um, and especially like through the phone calls, you can kind of hear it in their like tone really well she won't speak french back to her she's only speaking german yeah. instead like yeah yep. dad all the like passive aggressiveness yeah yep finally like coming to the surface is just really uh really strong and 
this did have like a very like sweet ending to it and i i also loved how they kind of tied in like the real life female astronauts who are mothers who have also gone through this and this movie is dedicated to them so just uh i thought overall a really great watch and probably an under the radar film for americans but i'm hoping uh people find it for sure yeah um looking back on the 2020 uh caesar awards eva green was nominated for best actress alongside both adele hanel and naomi merlant from portugal lady on fire none <laughs> of the three actually won the award it was won by uh Anais Demostier in Alice and, and the Mayor, the movie I haven't seen. But, was, uh, that, uh, was that the one where they all like walked out because of Ronan Farrow? Uh, that did happen at that awards, yes. I yeah, don't I was going to say. Uh, in what it was relation to, I don't remember. But it was, it was, it was about something. Oh, it was about yeah. uh, Roman Polanski winning Best Director. Ro- yeah, Ronan Farrow, Roman, Roman Polanski. Ronan Farrow, good guy. Roman Polanski. Roman Not Farrow, so good. Very connected to the uh, Woody Allen scandal. That's what yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and people easy to get confused. <laughs> um, any last thoughts, Proxima? Watch it. VOD it. VOD it, man. Normal rental price. Check it out. It's definitely low, low radar here in America. Yes. Considering it's been a long time for it finally coming. I'm not actually sure why, why, why it took this long to come to us, but... The reverse happens to people or outside the world. So we, we're not allowed to complain about that. You know, especially with the holidays coming up, folks, you're going to be uh, maybe with people. I don't know if with COVID, that's going to be something a lot of people are doing. But, you know, if you want to have a, a movie, you can really sound like you know what you're talking about with recommendation. This is a pretty good one. So uh, check it out. But Dave, what else should the people be taking in so that they can hear our, our takes on it, our fiery takes yeah, so next week we uh, don't have a whole lot on the dock yet. That obviously will change, but some more VOD movies, I think. The next personal history of David Copperfield finally on VOD. That's exciting because that movie is very well liked. Maybe we'll talk some Grammy nominations predictions. Um, I know you're very excited about the return of His Dark Material Season 2. We won't be talking about that because neither of us finished the first season. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> the Crown's also coming back for season uh, four, but not a show I've I've seen yet, so we won't talk about that one either. Um, speaking of shitty Hollywood, the new Woody Allen movie, A Rainy Day in New York, is finally out in the U.S. That's the one with Timothy Chalamet and Selena Gomez. It's apparently very bad. Um, you can watch that if you want. So we'll, we'll we'll be talking about some stuff. We'll figure it out. We got some stuff. Uh, again, youtube.com slash nostalgiapod, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod, and uh, best of 2020, nostalgiapod, best of 2020 on Spotify. Give it a follow. Yeah.